The Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by Tua T Fitness and the Vegas Beer Guys. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language. Because we learned it from you, Dad. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the House Party Edition. Today, we talk House Party 2. My name is Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, the man with the high hair, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Hit him, Tom. This isn't a black thing. This is a deadbeat thing. <laughs> I like the uh, the sort of foreshadowing. The chance, or what is it? The dean, the dean of the sort of uh, Chris Rock esque comedy of class distinctions within African American society. Yes, sort of bubbling, bubbling up here. Uh, I'll give a shout out to that actor if I can remember his name. Yeah, the the befuddled dean, William William Shallert. I think mm-hmm. is man, he, he really sold all his little comedy bits. He did, absolutely. Yeah. Uh some nice uh, nice performances in this movie. And the next movie, I think. But we'll talk about that We'll we get, get there. there. Easy, buddy. We'll get there. <laughs> all right. Quit chomping at the bit. We're talking house party two right now. In these first two movies, I don't think there's any shortage of uh, scene steal scene stealing performances. There really are. There's a ton. A variety of actors. Yeah. So, well, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking House Party 2, a 1991 film released, by the way, I noticed, on my birthday in 1991. We've just covered the 1990 single series. I know. So we've advanced exactly one year. One year. That's how how far we've we've crawled from the well of 1990. That's how we celebrate finishing the 1990 <laughs> single sequel debacle. <laughs> All right, even, hadn't even occurred to me. Hadn't even occurred to me. Me either. Not till not not till I saw you laughing right there that I knew exactly why you were laughing. <laughs> so, House Party Two released by, on my birthday, Tom, in 1991, and directed by George and Doug. Jackson and McHenry, respectively. Okay. Uh, I don't and know. Jason's Lyric. Done? Doug McHenry did Jason's Lyric. That's about it. Kingdom okay. Come and Borrowed Moments, I think, for George Jackson. I don't know those movies. So they didn't continue to direct as a duo? No. Doesn't look okay. like it to me. Oh, it's uh, like a kid, kid and player splitting up duos all over. Yeah, right? They're just <laughs> laying waste. <laughs> The movie has 27% on Rotten Tomatoes. I feel that's low. Yeah, but look at that. that. That's an inversion right there. You, <laughs> you, you you, being the one to make that comment this time. Yeah, right? I mean, for the record, I think that's low as well. Okay, good. Uh, but, but is not, it surprising it's, to it's, you it's either? It's my place to point that out. <laughs> it, well, let me ask you this. Is 27% surprising to you, though? Well, it's interesting because I think I think the crit- the critiques of this movie come from cross have cross purposes. Mm. So I got a sense 
and what I read about the reception to this film, that that there's people who, you know, just thought it was a dumb comedy and not worthy of attention, and then there's people who thought it was, it was trying to be too worthy, and mm. dinged it because of that. That's interesting. Yeah, so I've heard both sides of that argument. It's like, oh, it's just a stupid house party movie. And I've also heard, like, what is this stupid house party movie trying to be a real movie for? Yeah. So it's like, the damned if they do and the damned if damned they don't. Damned if they don't. Uh, but it's higher than 20. It averages out to higher than... Both, I think, are valid, but it averages out higher than 27%. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I have more to say on that, but I think I'll save it for one moment just to tell you that on a budget of $5 million, this movie had an opening weekend of $6 million, and in the USA and the world earned $19.4 million. I, it's been a while. I, 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 don't, I think I looked up the, the budget information for the original movie, but it feels like all the kid and play movies mm. are almost carbon copied. Almost, you know, almost a same budget, a same opening weekend. They all made like 19 point something million dollars. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's the kind, I mean, that's the kind of reliability uh, a studio today would be. Would dream of, I suppose. Absolutely die for. Yeah. That kind of consistency. I, I want to, I want to frame this movie a little bit right off the bat because I, I was wondering, I didn't read a lot of critical reviews of the movie, but I got the sense that the, what I did read, you know, more, more to your first point, where they thought it was kind of a too broad, dumb comedy. Hmm. And that it almost felt like a television shtick of a movie, except for, of course, language and, you know, yeah, sex jokes or whatever. But it also occurred to me that this movie sits almost right in the middle of a different world being on yeah. television, on air, from 87 That's to 93. Mm-hmm. And I think that has a lot to do with where this movie sits and maybe with the choices that they made. Definitely. And it's only a year later that the show Martin goes on the air. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me either. And that does not surprise me. Uh, it's a star-making it, performance. Yeah. In this movie, yeah. And then previously... And he done already on, had one in Do the Right Thing as well. It's yeah, like, exactly, it's, yeah. It's, just a, it's a star rising, not star-making, really. For sure. And then I couldn't help but think about... Uh, we did Mannequin 2 on the show, and that was 91. <laughs> and it feels like that it's a type. To quote Hyman Roth, what does that tell you? <laughs> Aside the fact that embezzlement was involved somewhere. Right, yeah. So anyway, framing the movie like that, you know, I, I, it's funny. It's just it just a lot of the choices they make all of a sudden come into clear view yeah. for me, you know, why they did what they did. You're absolutely right. I think it's I think it's completely about the historical context in which it was made. I yeah. think it's that that's brilliant what you said about this being in the middle of a different world. Mm-hmm. You know, uh uh a um a network sitcom about the african-american college experience uh that was a spin-off from the cosby show yeah and i think this the overall this movie uh reaffirms uh 
some of Key and Peele's observations about um, African American centered movies of this period in any genre. You did promise you'd ha- talk about them. I did, because <laughs> they they they, um, they have a couple of sketches and uh, like a like a uh, stand up segment where they talk about you know black movies in any genre in this period are about college right whether it fits or not yeah and that's exactly what like it doesn't seem to fit the kind of movie that they make so this is this is almost the best example i could think of that and you know they have a they have a, a great line in that routine where they said all like all of these films have a line where someone goes i'm gonna go to college yeah, right. And right. It's sort of like, yeah, that's what the movie's about. You don't need to say it out loud. <laughs> like it's a movie about college. Yes, of course. And there's a line in this later on in the movie which is dangerously close to yeah. I'm gonna go to college. <laughs> so um I see I see all of I see all of that kind of uh playing into the the, the decisions that that they made and i wonder if they regretted it because if you look at like house party three there's no mention of college and no Mm -hmm. and no sense that kid finished college or Or if he graduated yeah right or or that this exists in in the fictional universe anymore part of what i do think is interesting is that only one of the characters is you know i'm going to go to college and that's good that's good i think that's smart yeah, it's good dramatic writing because then yeah. the conflict becomes about uh, different. Your two main characters, and... the tension and between graph, them. They graph what we presume happened in the first film, which I was yeah, hoping exactly. you were going to verify for me that there was some <laughs> kind of conflict around the house party that 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 play was leading kid into having a house party that he didn't want, and then right. they transfer that tension onto uh, play trying to lead um, kid astray from his college. Mm-hmm. Uh, his college um, courses and attendance. Right. Well, so, one one yeah. way I also knew this was a 1991 film was it opened with pink and blue neon credits. <laughs> I have a lot to say about the opening to this movie. This this opening really took me aback. Oh, all right. I mean, first of all, you know, when the New Line Cinema Ident comes up, it's like a box of chocolates. You never know what movie you're going to get. <laughs> exactly right. You know, no idea. It's just like, if, if there is a logo that tells you nothing about the movie you're about to see, it's the New it's Line a new, Cinema It's a new logo. line. Could be literally anything coming next. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I had to bet on a movie that... It could be a chocolate with su- cough syrup in it. Mm. Or delicious. I'm surprised how, how tantalizing delicious. that sounded to you. I, I, well, you know, I said that I was thinking is like hmm, I could both harm and help my body at the same time. <laughs> it's the dream. Uh, if I had to bet on a movie that began in silence, it wouldn't be this one. Right. And op- and then open with a somber song. Mm-hmm. Because this movie begins with a dedication. Yeah. To an actor who died, a star of the original who died in between movies. Uh, or I think he might have even died before the original, before House Party had even wrapped, maybe. That might be right. Yeah. Either way, if we're judging this movie as a party, and it's telling us to, it got off to a flat start. This party so far is bringing everyone down. <laughs> 
And then, you know, we're immediately into a nightmare. So it's like, <laughs> it's a, it's, tonally, it's a really strange way to begin a comedy like this. Well, yes. It's very melancholy, you know, it's like yeah. acknowledging that someone, it's like, you know, acknowledging that someone died since the last movie. But let's also congratulate the film for doing that because, you know, we give a lot of shit to movies poltergeist other movies we've seen in which off-screen deaths are not referred to talked about you know you know acknowledged yeah. in any way shape or form and sometimes in distasteful ways and this movie you know you get not you get a dedication right up front to the actor and then you show no disrespect to the character by making sure that his son is still connecting to what his father wanted so much to the extent that it's giving him nightmares and yeah it's a little dark but i also think it's a little sweet and then you also add whoopi goldberg into the mix and it's mm -hmm. like this you know up down of wink wink and sad sad <laughs> you know i think it's kind of funny and then it goes into the imbass of imbasses. Mm -hmm. A yeah. photograph yes. of a character from the original movie who will not be in this movie, who is dead, and that talking. then turns into, turns into recap footage from yes. the original movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have a winner. <laughs> in the imbass stakes. Fucking bingo. This is the cup winner's cup. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I, you know, and, and I think, you know, that they're, they're setting out with, I think certainly, I don't know if it, if it works necessarily tonally, but it, it's a, a bold choice to begin the movie by, and the, and the plot revolving around the death of a legacy actor mm -hmm. and character from the movie. They're sort of making lemonade from lemons. They're turning right. what could possibly be a reason not to make this film to their advantage. I agree. Um. And then it's funny because, you know, I mean, later in the film, I think you kind of alluded to this earlier or, you know, kind of talking about the uh, the tension between the, the characters, which comes into yeah. play later in this movie. Kid and play. Yeah. But aside from that, you know, you don't have a lot of direct references. I don't I, I'm assuming because I haven't seen the movie, but, you know, up top, you get one of the very few references to the first movie in which they go to church and they're sort of outcasts at church, like those bad boys that threw that house yeah. party, you know? That's true. Yeah. yeah. It's a, uh, it, that's, um, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I like, yeah, that's, that's their kind of consequence, right? Right. Like, yeah. You know, <laughs> I gotta go and take their medicine, I guess. Um, and then the, you know, the, it's a tiny thing in these opening scenes, but I would have refilmed the scene where they're standing outside by the car so it didn't look like an aerial was coming out of kid's shoulder. That's just me. <laughs> These days you could you just photoshop that out. Yeah, you right. Basically scrub it away. Back then, you got to make a choice. You have Let's to move the shot. Stick Let's or move reshoot the shot so you can't see an aerial coming out of his shoulder. <laughs> and um yeah, I, and this is a, speaking of the church scene, it's a point in the film, and there are many points in this film like this, where the film wins you over with its sincerity. 
Like, it feels like in this right, church scene, yeah. there's a lot of low-hanging comedy fruit. And it doesn't take it. Right. It's like an actual scene. Mm-hmm. And, I, you, and as you said, you know... And you expect a, a bit to happen, but it's it's literally the preacher at the front kind yeah. of shaming these two and yeah. just sticking with that. And there and there's a lot of moments where I feel like they could have they could have gone for the the obvious and easy joke and they don't and uh, the scene resonates in a way that it wouldn't have done if they'd have made the other choice. Right. So this is the first of those, I think. <laughs> for me. Well, and next then Iman. Yeah, I was just going to say next next we have Iman. I mean, this obviously like so much of her persona is about confusion, but <laughs> I like. I mean, it's my in, so my initial reaction to seeing Iman was just like, I was like, I don't know if I like her when she's not shrouded in sci-fi, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, take her out you, of. The you want to see context. the yellow eyes of Star Trek Six, exactly. Um, but of course, you know that's that's playing in my mind along with. One of the most stunning women I've I know. Seen ever. <laughs> Me too. The second she showed up on screen, I thought, I think this person's too beautiful for this movie. Right, exactly. And so at that point, I was just sort of like, well, you know, she's visually, visually still as impressive as always, but maybe some of that, some of the gloss that the, the, the science fiction context gave us is, is kind of being stripped away. But then they kind of play that into the film well enough where she's she's fronting at this point. Yeah, right. So I'm sort of like, as the film goes on, I'm like, it's, it's like she's doing a really good job at being unconvincing, like... Shady. Shady. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, the, you know, the, the repeated jerk-off cutaways would, were to me like... Mm-hmm. like because she is so stunning, I was just like, "Yeah, no, I, agree. I get it." I was like, "Oh, I don't think she, I don't think you, I don't think you meant it that way. I think you meant that he's jerking them off." I was like, "Okay, I get it. now. I get it. Like, she's so beautiful; it could be taken two different ways." Yeah. Uh, and this is where we start to get into again what I assume is at the center of the first film, without knowing, and will probably turn out is not there. <laughs> Non-diegetic sound effects. Yes, right. Which is a staple of. All of these movies? Question mark. Hmm. Must be. I think there's. I mean, certainly these front too. They're heavy. Yeah, exactly. And this feels like it's interesting that anyone would dig ding this for sort of being, um, you know, like sitcom shtick. Because to me, this goes back to the the origins of comedy movies. It's going all the way back to the Three Stooges. Yeah. Right. This kind of these non-diegetic sound effects, uh, as, a, as some would say, a substitute for comedy. Because um, I don't know if you've ever seen that clip of, of the Three Stooges where they've taken out all the sound effects. Oh no! It's the uh, it's the least funny thing you've ever seen. <laughs> it's actually kind of horrifying when you take out the sound effects. That's amazing. So that same sort of dependence on the sound effects is here as well. I yeah, think. yeah, like, agreed. Yeah. It becomes a different movie if you don't have this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was interested to see that kind of emerging as a convention of these movies, although it seemed like, as far as we could tell, a callback to what the first movie might have been like stylistically. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, no, absolutely. Sort of, that I agree with. You know, if they kind of, it felt like a callback 
mm-hmm. rather than a we've just decided to do this in the in the beginning of the sequel. <laughs> yeah, right. Although if that turns out, it turns out that that's true, and we've no reason to think it's not. Um, you know, even more props. Well, and you know, it kind of took me a little while to hook into this movie. Because having not seen the first movie, what's going on with the relationship between kid and play? What's happening? Obviously, one's going to college, and you know why he's making that choice. The other one is saying, we could do this, yeah. and I think we're going to be successful. But then this idea comes into play where he's talking to Iman, and he just says, just me. It'll be just me. I, just, I do most of the work. Mm. I do most of the lyrics anyway. I was a little disappointed that that didn't come up again. Yeah, you know, in more you know, like there. Well, it they're... doesn't. It doesn't. House Party Five. Tonight's the night. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. that tension reemerges just right. in time for the just series in to time end. Time for it to end. You know, so so because it it's addressed but never comes back to it was hard for me to sink into what's going on in the relationship there for a mm. little while. Um, not enough to not enjoy what I'm watching, but you know, right. your mind's kind of thinking, well, what, what am I watching? Where am I going? What's going on between these two? Yeah. And it kind of leaves it there but on the hook for, for a long time. Their, their conflict ends up being more about, you're always getting me in trouble with these house party ideas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but something that, uh, something less ambiguous is that the, uh, scholarship check is going to play some part. Yeah, right. No. That's established as our MacGuffin. MacGuffin, sure. Um, pretty pretty early on with uh, both visually and in ADR. <laughs> just, uh, just a, you know, some nice stupid people AP- ADR to really round yeah, that point. Yeah, absolutely. That it's gonna be, that it's to just to make on. sure you don't forget. Yeah, follow the money, as, uh, <laughs> as Hitchcock told us. And then something I couldn't find out about, but I found curious, that the fact that that when uh, kid goes to college, which sounds like it could also be the name of the, of the movie, kid goes to college. Um, <laughs> he's going like the his dormitory is Trump Hall. Yeah, and you can see it in the background, and it's just like I tried to find out about this, and I I got to the point where other people had noticed it because it came up as a Google search term, but there was no information on it. Okay. Like, was it a joke, an endorsement? Is this Donald Trump in Home Alone 2 all over again? Yeah, exactly, again? Like, right, what's, yeah. You know, which is the same year, I think, or close. Um, it's so funny to think about, I don't know, sort of the bumbling gag he was for movies and stuff at that time yeah. when you consider Home Alone 2 and, well, now this. And, I, and you know, he was like, sort of like people of all... Uh, people of all races and in- and ethnicities admired him. Yeah, right. And it, again, that was based on a falsehood because he made his way in the seventies by evicting black people from homes. Mm-hmm. That was like how he made his money. He was a slum landlord, so was his father. Yeah. Anyway, that's not what we're, that's, let, that's, let, let's yeah. just assume that it's a coincidence <laughs> and move on, or we'll never get out of here. Like, like, did that college really have his name on the building, or was that something the movie did? Speaking of cultural appropriation, this is where we get introduced to, is it Cameron? Mm-hmm. His roommate? Yeah. Who you find out in the course of the movie, and if you read around, was actually a... Was an actual rapper. rapper. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but at this point, without it still works without that context because, you know, that idea of the of the white guy who wants to be black is just like a it's just a good bit, right? It's like it works all the way from here. Yeah, and I would the, I would the go Wire so... season two. Yeah, yeah, second. exactly. It's just, yeah. And it's just as funny then, you know, yeah. the, where the guy turns to him and it's like, you do know you're white, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's, it's sort of one Joe of those Karen. foolproof it bits. It's one of those foolproof bits. Yeah. And it's it's such a bit that it's almost kind of ubiquitous at the time, I think, you know? You, yeah. You're going to see it all the time. But it, but it, yeah, and it's timeless. Like, you could do it in yeah. the early 2000s and it hasn't lost any of its, uh, its sheen. I mean, but a bit every character they... in House Party 5 is that character. Yeah. Unironically, though. Unironically, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and another bit that I don't know if they knew was a bit at the time was when uh, Queen Latifah says to uh, Sydney, "You do like boys, don't you?" Yeah. So I mean, like, how much did did people know about her sexuality back then? You know, and that's that was out, my question. Officially come out in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um. And I was wondering, is that coded into the scene? Or again, is that just like dramatic irony? We're looking back and now we know. That, I, I had all the same questions because there was, there is some homophobia in this movie. But mm-hmm. that's when I got really curious about it, when Queen Latifah started talking about those things and bringing those up. And, you know, there's no information. I couldn't find anything on it, but. If they knew she was. Oh, if they knew or strongly suspected she was a lesbian, then it's better that right. she's saying that line because there's some irony behind it. But if they yeah. if they don't, it's kind of, it's it's, it's kind of sucks for her. Yeah, they've exactly. Made, they've made it. They've made like a gay woman make an anti-gay joke. Exactly. And this is where we start to get to. This is I think we're around about where Martin Lawrence's character is introduced. Yeah, or, I I wrote down that there's a there's a. There's a there's a funny bit in this part because he's saying fuck so much, but Martin Martin Lawrence is trying to be the reason of morality in the movie for at least one of these characters. He's trying to be the the moral soundboard, telling yeah. him what a piece of shit he's being. And I thought that was pretty funny. I thought that was a joke that worked really well. And his star quality just shines through. I think it really like, does. Yeah, and he, you know. It, like I wasn't even it was so much so that even though I didn't like know the the exact timing of his rise to fame I knew he wasn't going to be in House Party 3 I knew he yeah, would have exactly. a surrogate. Yeah. I knew he would never be playing a hanger on in House Party for the rest 3 of his life. Yeah. yeah. Given the fact that he's already like as we said he's already done it and do the right thing and he mm-hmm. shined in that movie too. Right. And that's a harder movie to shine in. To shine in. One. Yeah. <laughs> and then he goes on the trajectory to TV star, movie star, and then eventually looking like the Chicken McNugget Happy Meal toy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I tell you what, we got a pretty good start. Why don't we take a break? We'll end all, we'll, everyone could go away and look that up on eBay. We'll, we'll end on, on a Happy Meal note. <laughs> Check it out. He look, looks modern day look Martin Lawrence. Yeah, Bar- Monday Martin Lawrence looks exactly like the Chicken McNugget Happy Meal toy. That's amazing. All right, everyone. We'll be right back. 
Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out To A T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. To A T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. Tom and I are back to discuss Oscar winner, House Party 2. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But we are here to discuss House Party 2, directed by George and Doug. Did they give their last... Oscar-worthy soundtrack, I'd say. Yeah, for sure. Did they give their last names on the credits? I should know that. Or did it just say directed by George and Doug? Because I wrote George, parentheses Jackson, and Doug, parentheses McHenry, and it makes me think that they said it's directed by George and Doug. I think you're probably right, then. That's something I should have picked up on. All right. Well, Kid and Play, George and Doug. Makes sense. It's a better rhythm to it. Yeah, I kind of like... I realize that both their names are Christopher... So I, I started mm-hmm. writing the Christophers. <laughs> Funny how that never took off, but Kid and Play did. Yeah. <laughs> we wanna, now That's we the non-help of a white man for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It all went wrong the day they wanted to be known as the Christophers. <laughs> We're changing our name. Oh, good. All right. Well, when last we met, or when last we left, uh, we were discussing. What were we discussing? We were discussing. <laughs> <laughs> you were talking about Happy Meals. But narratively, you know. Yeah, we ended on a non sequitur, but narratively. Narratively, we were talking uh, about the check. And of course, college. you know, Play had to use the check to cover. For Amon, and mm-hmm. the next thing you know, this is this is one of those weird moments in the film where a kid goes to register for classes, but he can't because he doesn't have any money. But then he's sitting in classes. Yeah, is he, I don't know. Is don't, he crashing classes? I don't know. It never really makes he's, that he's cr- clear yeah, he's for me. Yeah, crashing classes, and that's why he's kind of. Oh, I suppose he's crawling around because he doesn't want to know. Doesn't want them to know he's coming late. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. That's true. Um, but it's confusing as well. Like you first play drops it in the in a donation box, but finds it again, mm-hmm. and then willingly gives it up to him. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so I guess I guess it's that's better that he 
consciously chooses to lose it than just accidentally losing it. But why we need to fake that out, I have no, uh, no idea. Yeah. No. Hey, how about, uh, were you, did you know immediately that both Iman and the guy were shady? Because to me, the movie tries to show that the guy's shady, but I... Maybe Iman, I think they tried to keep that about Iman for a little bit until a little later. Yeah. Right? I think so, yeah. 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 I think that's it. That's um, that's certainly the idea. This movie's got a few beats in which I think the movie is, you know, because you have the college campus, you have the Queen Latifah mm-hmm. character, and yeah. you have George Stanford Brown as Professor Sinclair. And mm-hmm. so race and class are going to come up in this movie quite often. And the movie seems pretty self-aware in a way that, that pleases me for 1991. I can't remember where kid is, but there's an Asian student and he says something about Japanese and she goes, Oh, well, what do you know about Africa? The other, that kind of idea. And he realizes that his assumption was just Mm. as prejudiced as every assumption that there's ever probably been about him. I like those little moments. But we're still misunderstanding Sikh people. Yeah. So you can affirm your own malign culture and speech. <laughs> yes, right. And still malign others. Yeah. It but is yeah, 1991. Give them a break, Tom. <laughs> Give them a break, absolutely. No, I, I, I agree. I think I think definitely the emphasis is um, in the right place. Because it's shortly after yeah. that that you get the it's a deadbeat thing. Yeah. Ex- well, And that's that's for comedy's sake. I just, I, you know, it's... But it, it you right. know, it's like well, it's, it's like of... the movie's in on the joke when the dean, sa- you know, mm-hmm. is saying this isn't a black thing at all. This is a deadbeat thing, and a deadbeat could be black or white. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and there's a lot in here about you know the internal conflict within African American society. Yeah, there is. Uh, a lot of the comedy is based around that rather than you know black white racism, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is is interesting you know it's more interesting more subtle um you're able to get more out of it less tip it's sort of less typical and there's a lot of that yeah less um, typical yeah you're right which which works uh i think really well and you know there's there's you know the small these small acts of black power displays like when even kid takes uh, the cell phone away from the waspy guy right uh so he so he can call, you know, he because the the phone is mm-hmm. uh, there's a line. There's the a line at the phone that he cannot wait for. Phone. Yeah, uh, and you know, this it's interesting. It's interesting to me that you know you mentioned the professor, Professor Sinclair, and you know we we we're, we're treated to some of a lecture which is about Malcolm X's legacy. Yeah, I was interested to hear what he like. I mean, first of all, you know, to put to put a historical. Uh, subject like Malcolm X in in the movie in and itself is a is uh, an interesting choice, but I mean, and I guess I can't blame the movie too much for this, but you know I know I've read a couple of biographies of Malcolm X and this is definitely this is the part of his legacy that's easiest to swallow for white people, mm-hmm. which is the late period of his life when he converted to Orthodox Islam and then. Uh, shifted politically towards integration before right. he was a segregationist, yeah, a reverse segregationist. Um, so 
It's kind of interesting. Well, I mean, the, that, it feels you know, like the movie's only bringing it so up. So it's sort of giving with one hand and taking with the yeah. other, you know, it's that kind of thing, yeah. And, it, you know, it, the, the movie, it feels like it goes out of the way to have its star black character not know a lot about Malcolm X so that it can get to the joke about the white kid who's a rapper who does know a lot about Malcolm X. And it right. felt like all of that was a means to the end of that joke. But I still appreciate it all kind of being in there. Yeah, well, no, I think I think it's I think it's a bit more deliberate than that. But you know, they, they talk about Malcolm X later on. They talk about James Baldwin. I mean, these aren't throwaway yeah, references. Yeah, that's true. These are these are significant. You know, these are significant uh, characters in the African American narrative. Of course, that, yeah. Um, uh, that this movie doesn't have to bring in necessarily. Um, but it does, and I, I, I think that's interesting. But there's always got to be a little bit of give and take with the sort of mainstream entertainment of it all mm-hmm. as well. Um, and you know that it does have, you know, it, it, the fact that at this point, you know, kid, kids basically he can't go to college if he doesn't have a scholarship check. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're watching the sound effect driven comedy. That is also at the same time a drama about poverty and grief because he's also grieving the loss right. of his dad, and that's part of it too. So those are two interesting levels that this movie plays on, and uh, I like that. I like that you can get both. Well, and every times. once in a while, because I think the movie feels like it has to be, it's also trying to run a romantic comedy through it with mm-hmm. his relationship with yeah. Tisha Campbell, but it's a total early 90s misunderstanding sure. you know an easy an easily fixable problem that breaks these two up yeah and is the runner for his relationship in the movie that you know proceeds for the rest of it but but and everyone moves moves away from the from their like extreme positions yeah very easily. yes of course not as easily as in the next movie but still pretty yeah, easily right yeah and there's a scene, the scene outside the uh, the studios. Um, the did it turn out to be a fake studio, or is just it just the address that Iman gave? When they oh, you know when they do going they both go the, there? Well, it's, or is it it's, just well, it's not play. just them, but it's also I was gonna say like there's Three Stooges style sound effects in this. There's also the Three Stooges, which are the so, three grandkids. Yeah, I was going to ask you about so these we, characters. We don't, we, we don't just have the sound effects. We, we have, have the, the Three Stooges. Well. Yeah, yeah, we have them. Yes. The, who turn who end up being security guards. At and not only that, college. but it's it's like a little bit a little bit of this is sort of a hat on a hat because you have the Three uh, Stooges aspect of these characters, but then on top of it, one of them sounds like Mike Tyson. Right. So you yeah. you cut you start getting joke on top of joke, and they're by far the broadest characters yeah. in the entire film. In that way, they seem a and little misplaced with that foul mouth grandma. Yeah, right. Um, but I kind of I like this scene because you know there was there's a lot of broad physical comedy. There's the Three Stooges, a little bit of the Marx Brothers, a little bit of Abbott and Costello mm-hmm. in there. Um. But the way this, like the scene chooses not to end on a comic note, but it also chooses not to over-dramatize what's happening. Yeah. So it neither it neither trip. So basically, what what happens is they all get arrested, and the darkest and most hood 
of the group are the ones who are kept right. and the rest are released. Yeah. And the point, you know, so obviously that's satirical, yeah. right? Um, you know, about the race, but the movie doesn't put a fine point on it. And so you end up the, the scene. No, with but the, I think you, they you have a, the right. they, there's commentary, isn't there? It's like, isn't there a, why are you that's letting what I them mean, go? Though, but it's, it's commentary, but they're not, uh, like they're not hitting you over the head with no, it. Yeah. It's just a, it's just how the scene ends. Right. Yeah. And I really like that. Neither did they decide to make it broad or make it like you know the beginning of Spike Lee's Malcolm X, or you know that it's like, or it's like it it just it's just sort of like it feels like what everyday life is like for the people on screen, mm-hmm. which is a really yeah. interesting thing to get in the middle of a of a comedy of a comedy like that like this for sure. And again, it sort of feels like in not making a choice, they made a really good choice. Yeah, they just dead they just deadpan it basically. Mm-hmm. And I really You're right. Uh, there are moments really where this movie shows restraint that you would think it would not show restraint with. Yeah. Um And you know, there are also stuff that's more like the language of screen comedy we know, like the ironic hard cuts mm-hmm. um which kind of dominate all sitcoms now. Yeah. You know, kind of popularized by Family Guy and as part of the editing language of sitcom now. Sure. Um, and at this point, there's no sign of a house party beyond the... No, yeah, exactly. I, I thought the same thing. It's I just, thought, so we're, we're a good just, long ways from the house party. Yeah. And like you said, because they go to what is supposed to be the studios and nobody knows who Iman is. So we find out now that she is a thief, that she is mm-hmm. uh, in on it. Mm-hmm. And I th- aren't, we get, aren't we starting to get to, into the land of... Uh, Montage as well, that sort of ends with with hey you got to give me a twenty page paper. Uh yeah we're get, we're getting yes we're getting closer to that the montage is on the horizon. Okay. Um. Another kind of timeless bit, which is interesting, is the um when he goes to the uh, the finance who goes to see the dean and the financial yeah. officer who works for him. And there's the joke about the switch of address between talk, a black person talking to black people and a black person yeah. talking to a white person. And it's like, it feels like, like Key, like Key and Peele are still getting laughs out of this today. Mm-hmm. There's their famous Obama routine where like Obama, like going down a line of people who are racially mm-hmm. mixed and just re- like greeting everyone very differently, which based on something that really happened. Yeah, right. <laughs> With like them observing what happened when they met Obama. Um and I also like. I mean, there's not much in this movie that recalls my college experience, which I've had from both sides. Like I've taught, I've been at the college, and I've taught at the college. Uh, but definitely this idea that that kid is one of those students who can bullshit his professor successfully, mm-hmm. and yet the professor is still suspicious that he's being bullshitted. Sure, that's what college teaching is like. Right, yeah, yeah. Like, you're aware you're being played, but you want to see how far you're being played, and whether well, you're being played by someone who's who's also capable of being a good student, well, t- teaching, or whether you're being played by someone who's just a complete bullshitter who will go nowhere. Having, having taught myself K through 12, it's a similar experience. It's, it's, not, just, <laughs> it's not just college. Oh, fair enough. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just a universal teaching. Yeah. Thing. But it definitely, I, I, I understood that dynamic between, uh, sure, between teacher and student, 
And this is about, we, I mean, before we get to the montage, we got to talk uh, oh, Tony Burton. I was just going to say, so my note before montage is Tony Burton. And what a treat it was to see him yet again. Yet again, and once again, you know, getting more laps, playing the role mm-hmm. straight down the middle. Yep, exactly right. A ridiculous character played completely straight, and it's funnier because of it. Yep. You know, that, and the... The visual humor only works because he's playing it so straight because mm-hmm. of that, that ridiculous hairnet. It's great. And when he goes into kid's face and says, you saying I look stupid <laughs> with the, with the hairnet on. And you only have to like a te- you only have to see the, the blooper reel to know yeah. that yeah. that is, that's like, like, <laughs> like it's, it, that is, uh, you've got to play that entirely. You have to play Well, and, and the blooper reel is more him when he puts the hairnet on kid. Yeah. And he's keeping it so straight. Yeah. And that's Absolutely. that's what makes it work. It's it really it, I, I it was one of the few times where I saw a gag reel where I thought, oh, I'm kind of happy to see that one. That did make me laugh, yeah. you know, because it makes you realize, you know, what a how good Tony Burton is, you know. In this oh, yeah. small I mean, we've, part, we've talked to... he's gonna he's gonna mm-hmm. play it straight, but he's gonna be hilarious. And it's so yeah. funny when you talk, you know, all the platitudes you ever hear when you're an actor about there are no small parts, you know, o- only small actors, this and that. And yeah. to to take a part like this and to turn it into what he does is it's pure gold to me. I just I love well, a working yeah, actor I mean, just what... working his ass off. Well, that's just, you know, that's just character acting. That's yeah. just what it is. And, you know, it's playing the character the same, regardless of the context you're in. And the humor finds finds you. You don't find the humor. Yeah. Um, and he does that. He does that so well here. And, and it's interesting because, it, again, they could have made it broader uh, because, of course, you know, he's he's already done the Rocky movies. You know, he's he's sure. partly playing this role because he's Apollo Creed's trainer. Yeah. Um, and what that you know what that means to the target audience for this movie, but they don't overplay that hand ever. Right. Like they don't turn it into a trading montage, which I I, I mean gotta admire their restraint there. I mean that's like yeah. that is the ultimate low hanging fruit I for think, sure. Uh, in comedy terms, and they they don't you get the sense of it, right? No, yeah, right, right, montage, exactly. You understand the reference, but you're not being hit over the head with no. it. Um. But then we, and that montage is, it, yeah. is interesting because it's like... We get to the buckle-down montage. It's pro-learning, but it's also pro... Humping. Freeze frame on asses. Yeah. <laughs> so, mixed messages. For sure. You're, you're, all you're seeing is, are, is what each character values. But it's mixed mess- It's those mixed messages are the fulcrum of this movie. It's yeah, for sure. It's walking mm-hmm. the whole time. Uh, and for the most part, I think it, it works that type of pretty well. I mean, but and I, I I agree with you there. And by the time we get to the end of this montage, we're about 49, 50 minutes into the movie, and we're finally going to hear about a house party for the first time. Yeah. yeah. And then I realized that once Play comes up with the idea of a house party to help pay mm-hmm. for kids' college tuition, and that they yeah. want it to be a pajama jammy jam... 
Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I realized this movie has so much restraint. I can't believe it's not House Party 2 colon Pajama Jammy Jam. <laughs> I can't believe there's mm-hmm. not a subtitle for this movie. It's pretty impressive. It's also interesting that like we're used to sequels where the 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 first half of the sequel is a remake of the original, right? And then the second half goes off and does its own thing. And this is the opposite, right? Looking this at is, you, becomes more like apes. Yeah, it's reverse apes. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> it's reverse apes. Never try that sexual position. No, just, no. Just a, that's a warning. That's shot. how I Never broke my leg. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's interesting that they flipped it. They've inverted the inversion. Yeah. Um, because the second half of this movie is about a house party, which is the yeah, the very the very least I know about the original movie that's <laughs> about a house party. Yes. This and pretty soon after this, uh, Queen Latifah Her gets song. to actually perform. Yeah. Um. And again, I didn't do a really go- good job building her up as a character first, and yeah. then making her the musical act. And but I like got this incredible wealth of talent to play yeah, with. Yeah, exactly. With like actors who are also singers and dancers, and they can turn one on, and then turn yeah. the other off. And but to me, what I also really like that the movie clearly understands how much talent they have in a secondary character. Mm-hmm. And so they give her the moment to shine because, yeah. you know, that's how much charisma and how great she is or how much charisma she and possesses also, and how how great she is. And also that, you know, that kind of industry commentary with, you know, she's immediately being preyed upon by. Yes, exactly. By Iman and that uh, that other guy. Yeah. And so it's just like it's it's sort of an acknowledgement that, you know, I'm sure something that all the people in this in this movie are familiar with this sort of the industry exploiting new black talent mm-hmm. um, getting its claws into it um, and yeah this the the finance officer is a really interesting I think he's a really interesting character because it's you know he's he, he represents the kind of an you know an aspirational black college student sure. who is also a complete hypocrite and is also a hustler yeah. and is playing the game and his masculinity is equally sort of conflicted mm-hmm. um, I think it's kind of it's kind of an interesting character to, to throw in there absolutely I mean it, I it does feel part, a little stock the romantic, it is... it's part of the romantic triangle that actually you know goes beyond just misunderstandings it's sure. sort of like he feels like a genuine rival for her affection because of the status he's attained within the college. Right. And that's what's interesting about him. You know, it's funny because he he feels like a stock character of the time and how duplicitous he is. Yeah. Uh, yes. uh, <laughs> we talked about that with the mannequin. Yeah, we? exactly. So, like, like, you, got, you know, everyone's got a ton of Exactly. I'm thinking, I'm thinking mannequin. I'm thinking real genius. I'm thinking of all these kind of movies around that time with that character, but... Yeah. But he does have that extra added layer that makes him a little bit interesting in the sense of with all these other characters, you never have a sense of why anybody would want to be anywhere near them. Right. He's wearing a veneer in this one that makes sense why someone might find him attractive. Yeah, he's playing everyone in a different way. Exactly, yeah. He knows when to code switch. Mm Mm-hmm. and you know that must be something that that resonates with 
with African Americans who live in different stratas of society, and right. how they they have to change who they are and how they address uh, different people that they're dealing with. Yeah. So this is also the moment. This was a moment I really started to really like this movie because, you know, kid kid is put in a, into a position where he has to make a decision, and he gets demoted in the kitchen by Tony Burton. Mm-hmm. And then he is kind of forced, you know, a lot of times these decisions that a character has to make, it feels half-baked. And I really felt it yeah. in this one where he has to make a decision that kind of complements or not complements, uh, complicates his character Yeah. in a way that makes sense. And he's got to do mm-hmm. something wrong that he knows would hurt somebody he respects. And I buy all of it. And the way that was written and the way it was played in the movie is when I really started to like this movie. I like that turn. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree with all of that. There's some wonky storytelling in this section. The character stuff works, but, you know, I, I, I would like there to be a reason why Kid gets an extra week to pay his... Yeah, absolutely. ...pay his way. It just feels like he's missing some narrative information. And it certainly doesn't feel like that work. Dean would have give, afforded him that opportunity. Except that the, the the dean does exactly the same thing at the end, so I guess we're led to believe that that's the true. Guy is just demented and doesn't know what he's saying that's at true. any given moment. But again, that needs we need fill those yeah. gaps filling in um, as well. Uh, yeah, and and in addition to that, something that I'm surprised this movie does so well is tie together multiple storylines. <laughs> right, that was something I was surprised with. Like they establish about what three or four different storylines. Sure. And then are able to find ways to make them dovetail as the movie goes on. Yeah. Which, uh, I guess through the vehicle of the house party, but still, that's what the movie's called. Yeah, that's what everyone, this, this movie does have a house party in it. It does, yeah. And also, you know, uh, in addition to what you're saying about kids, Sydney's having an identity crisis as well. And this is where mm-hmm. I felt the the different world of it all. I felt like... Yes, this, me too. What she's going through felt like, a, from what I can... It's been a long time since I've seen it. I didn't used to watch it. This is, I remember, storylines just like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. With regards to... Um, was it Lisa Bonet? Lisa Bonet, yeah. Was, uh, yeah, playing... What was the name of her character? Can you remember? Ooh. No. Uh, Rudy, Vanessa... Uh, wow. Why can I remember Theo? Why can I remember all the kids except Lisa Bonet? Raven Simone. <laughs> and, uh, I don't remember what she, even what she was called. I just knew it was Raven, Raven Simone. Yeah. Uh, and their rapist father. Um, <laughs> that's what the show's been renamed now. Vanessa, Rudy, Raven, Simone, and their rapist father. Their rapist father. That's what it's called in some Chinese ter- like in some Asian territories. That's the translated title. Oh shit! I don't know how to say his name, but but he's I guess he's a big deal. Ralph Trisvant. Who's he? The <laughs> like, again, the blind leading the blind. <laughs> I looked him up. He's a semi-famous rapper or a very famous rapper at the time. This is getting into this the, is a, the, in, the house party. In the house party when they start... Yeah. Actually, we see some numbers. <laughs> we see some actual house party. Um, 
And then someone does something which presumably is a, this is such terrible commentary. <laughs> someone does something which presumably happened in the first film and then comments on it. Yes. By looking into the camera and comments together. So I'm assuming whatever, like someone, they blocked a toilet in the first film. So that's, that's what I said. I said, uh, where's my note? I said, toilet callback? Question mark? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If it like an archaeologist yeah, ever found those exactly. notes, what would they make of them? <laughs> um, and this is the line I said, which is dangerously close to "I'm I'm going to go to college," which is uh, I can't believe I'm going to be able to stay in school. Yeah, right. Which I thought was like could have been written by Keaton Peel, for sure. And I also like again, again that sort of versatility of the people in the movie, uh, Sydney. You know, he's been, again, like Queen Latifah, she's been established as a well-rounded character, but now she gets to show off her dancing chops. Yeah, right, right. right. And this is, as soon as the movie started, I was like, I was like, they gotta show it, because, you know, she's incredible. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, she's in Little Shop of Horrors as well, isn't she? she is. She's one of the back, yeah. Um, And I was just like, I was like, this movie knows when to sort of switch gears and, like, use the other talents of the cast. Right. And I thought it was really Well, I also like really the good. moment, there's a moment between her and Queen Latifah where she finds out there's a fundam- fundamental misunderstanding of what Queen Latifah yeah. was saying to her. You know, she was, she kind of thought, well, I want you to be like me. And you, you know, I, I think it's a fairly well done yeah. Co- yeah. college. Yeah, it's like a, it's, like know, a, it's a plot strand from a different what different Absolutely, and it's that's it's that different strokes. World episode, definitely not a different. I hope not. Episode. No child rapist but, here. Yeah, but there's that thing where <laughs> God damn only gr- only adult rapists. <laughs> there's that thing when you go to college and there's people you admire and maybe you take on person traits of their personality, kind of a thing. Yeah, and I love the oh, idea. I love reads. the idea of yeah. Queen Latifah kind of giving her the business and just saying, "No, I want you to be you. You look like you're trying to be me. Who are you?" And you know, and she's also performing a role as well. Sure, like she's also aware that she's sort of artificially ad- adopting a type. Mm-hmm. And I like. I mean, again, there's like this sort of something. I I don't know necessarily. I was expecting more stereotypical representations of African-American people. Yeah. And we got that, but there's a spectrum of stereotypes as well. So sure. we've got right. the hood guys and then we've got the nation of Islam guy. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was a really nice moment of sort of like, it's like taking in a broad spectrum of different stereotypes of black people. Sure. <laughs> Which is the very least you can do, I think. Because comedy deals in stereotype, and so if you're going to deal in stereotype, you have to do it in an egalitarian way. Mm-hmm. Um, well, should we take one more break? Yeah, we're we're yeah, we got to the house party. We're so at the house party. Some major hijinks are like about to ensue. <laughs> I feel like as much as two white men can, we've done our job <laughs> to the best of our abilities, to be sure. To the- I mean, beyond the best of our ability, but that is a low bar for the series. Agreed. All right, we'll do that, and we'll come right back right after this. I like to think I know something about beer. 
but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. Here we are. Boot scoot boogieing. Tom and I are here to finish up with House Party 2. I got my jammies on, Tom. Do you? <laughs> well, I mean, yes. <laughs> I've had them on since I woke up. Yes, so. of course. That's how I roll, such as it is. <laughs> There's no cameras in the closet. Yeah, as as I'm yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, I've got... To... So, so this is the, you know, we already stated as we were leaving, like, we're at the house party. We're going to start hearing yeah. some, like, kind of one after another, some pretty yeah. great numbers. And Cameron, the, the aforementioned white rapper. Right. Showing his, showing his chops. And this reminds me, I think, that I, the, 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 the white community have always had a way more of a problem with white rappers than the black community ever has. I feel mm-hmm. like white inclusivity in black rap music is incredibly accepting. Mm-hmm. Like you look at Eminem, the you know right. produced by some of the greatest rap acts of all time. Yeah. You just saw potential in him, and there's a similar situation here. Like it's an it's an invent it's like a invented racist tension. Right. You know, you ask Chuck D, he'll tell you that what he was doing was shaped by the Beastie Boys, right? Yeah. It's like, it's an interplay. Anyway, this is a thing. It's just a thing I have. And this reminds me that like, and even, you know, to my eyes, I'm just like, it's like, this feels like it shouldn't fit. And then I have to remind myself that that's a problem that I have. It's not a problem that the people making rap music have. They don't, they yeah, really right. don't care if you've got, if you've got talent, they really don't care. They don't care. I also because noticed they can, because they want to make money off you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I also noticed that I started thinking to myself in terms of Jamal, I thought I might like him better as an actor than I do as a rapper. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, yeah. <laughs> um, and this is where... But the, I also, like, party, a, yeah. so I was just going to say, I also noted that, like, you know, finally Kid and Play get to play. And when mm, they yes. brought their song up, I was, I, you know, I was da- I, I was almost dancing in my seat. I was loving it so much. Yeah, yeah, no, I think I think they, they, they bring it. Yeah. Um. I think I yeah, and again I sort of I like these moments here, and I think I think it's more of a showstopper in the next movie, but that's more about the people doing it yeah than the and uh, but 
Yeah, here it's, it's great. I also like how all the storylines kind of collapse in on each other and literally in a heap. Yes, they do. They literally point. do, yeah. So this is the vehicle for the convergence of all the I also, stories. you know, because the... the Culminating in a chase down a hole. Yes, exactly. Is, you know, your classic slapstick. Felt very scene. Three Stooges and reminds me of my uh, the Three Stooges security guards. You know who they reminded me of? Who? The Germans and Mannequin 2 on the moon. Those, those, You're not far off base right? with that at all. I was wondering no. if these two productions were, were talking back and forth to each other. Because they're released the same year. But this, I mean, this is a... Well, I don't know. I don't know if they're in the original movie again. I was hoping you were going to answer that for me. Nope. But um, they're not? No, I say I can't help you is what I meant oh, okay. by my nope. <laughs> nope, you can't answer to it. Yeah. <laughs> Not nope, that was the answer. Um, yeah, it's, 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 I, I love it. It's full slapstick, the toupee-wearing janitor, the sex doll. Mm-hmm. There's even a... I mean, the going in and out of the, of the dorm rooms, I mean, that's a... I think that's a direct pull from Marx Brothers' A Night at the Opera with the cabin, with everyone going into the ship cabin. Yeah. And... Being, and and I think so. Well, I mean, you know, I, I mean, deliberate it's, or not, it's it's in the same vein. Yeah, right. It's, it's it reminds me also of the you know plenty of Fraser episodes. Yeah, they do get a bit farcical, don't they? Yeah, some of them. Um, Lots of those, uh, you know, one door opens, one closes. Yes, yeah, so I know. That kind of feels exactly noises off. Thinking of. There's one at the cabin, exactly. There's one. Yeah, that's the, cabin, the one I meant. Is the one at the cabin. That's the one I'm remembering. It's basically a stage farce full of mis- comic yeah. misunderstandings with Gee. Comic romantic with Gee. misunderstandings. <laughs> with Gee, yes. Um, there was one odd then, beat of weird sexual some shit going on in one room, though. Yes. Where I thought this doesn't seem to fit with the rest of the movie. Uh huh. Interesting. To to me, the the well, no, it did fit with it. A, a beat that did fit with the rest of the movie, but kind of clashed with the nonstop physical comedy in the scene was when kid is actually hanging over the building. Yeah, right. The movie tells you that this is a serious moment. Like it could have yes. got folded into the slapstick. Yeah, but doesn't. But the movie is very clear. It's like this is a moment <laughs> this, of jeopardy this is very in an otherwise dangerous moment slapstick sequence for your yeah. for your lead character. And it's like a, you, and after this, there's kind of another weird, weird, another detour into melancholy territory. As sort of like it reminds you, the movie revels as much in the comedy as it does rate sincerity over that. Yeah. When push comes to shove. Um, because when he, you know, when he when he pulls him off the roof, they have like a moment which a is sort of heart to heart. Hmm. Uh, this is it's interesting. I have the note here. Does the dean know his lines? <laughs> See, my and there's some evidence in this movie that it was made very fast, and the script wasn't always ready, and that some people are making up for that. Maybe. Uh, but it might also be what you're saying about the dean just doing an incredibly good job with this character. It might. Yeah, it could be either one. I also noted that it felt, you know, when the dean comes back at the end of this movie, it feels very much like a Scooby Doo episode. Or one of those kind of those uh, college movies that I have never seen, but have only seen parodied in The Simpsons. Yes, exactly. 
Well, we're going to get to my note. With the crusty old Dean. Yeah, we're going to get to my note for, for the fifth movie in this series. When I, I have plenty to say about that particular yeah. episode, but stay tuned. And, uh, my The other evidence for me that this movie was made fast is that I don't think they had Tony, Tony Burden for very long. Yeah. Because they reuse shots with him in very early on like in the, the second third time you see yeah. him as a reused shot and i'm just like no oh, i bet they only had him for a day probably um but and and, and yet like, uh, like yeah you know when he's like tony burton's hurt over what kid has yeah. done is real mm. for me and again he's playing yeah. it completely straight not for comedy in that moment and yeah and it's, it's completely sort of, so, sincere, and it, it comes across as sincere. And like, I, I ached for. And the funny part is because of the writing that I said, mentioned earlier, that kid mm. had to make that decision that he knew would hurt him, yeah. and it did hurt him. <laughs> and so, and so yeah. you know, they kind of make good on that promise. Because following the house party, we have a series of kind of mini wrap up scenes. Mm hmm. All of which are kind of melancholy in tone, like they're trying to hit dramatic notes. Um, he delivers you know, his paper the, or gets his paper we're back, back at the rather. Graveside. Yeah. Um, but he has that last talk with the professor Sinclair. Yeah, and these are you know important, poignant scenes. Some of some of the writing is kind of ham-fisted, sort of drags it a little bit into after-school special. Yeah, like, this is where I felt most the criticism that. Um, it was trying to feel more worthy than it necessarily had to be. Well, and that's the thing is that it's it's always hard because you know a, a not so good movie that ends on a high note leaves you with a high note, and if you're if you're not buying into these last scenes of kind of sentimentality, then yeah. it might leave you on a low note, and you therefore hold the movie at you know at a at an arm's length when you're reviewing it. Mm. I think might that might have to do with what happened in the critical analysis for the movie. Cuz it pushes you to the point where you think it might end with him not going not being actually able to go to college and mm -hmm. then at the last second flips that's on its head. So it drags us enough down into the socioeconomic reality of it all. It's like, you know, for most people in for most uh of his demographic in that situation he would end up just going back to work and not being able right, to finish yeah. college i mean you know the all the hijinks with the scholarship check probably wouldn't have happened in real life of course but not let's say he lost it by other you know other means it's uh so it's kind of the movie sort of wants to have it both ways but it also wants to end in a way that's kind of utopian it's like you know i sold my yeah. car and yeah and but i actually you know that boom that moment kind of uh struck a chord with me because it's better than what it could have been and what I thought it was going to be, which mm. is that they got a record contract. Yeah. Right. I thought that was how he was going to get it. Cause what contract. I like about it is it shows contrition <laughs> then happens. And it's so it shows contrition on plays part. Yeah. And he's been mm -hmm. talking about this beautiful car that he loves for the entire movie. And so he sacrifices for his friend and, and that's true love. And, you know, now his friend and gets to go to college. Let's never speak of this again. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. And from now on, based on how they start talking in the experts. next movie, for sure. Yeah. Let's pretend this never happened. <laughs> if we were ever to 
forever to talk about it. It never happened. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's really all I have. Yeah, me too. Note-wise. Um, can I go into a credit check? Yeah, I was just <laughs> taking one last look at notes. I guess all I want to say in conclusion is uh, this movie surprised me. And it was a pleasant surprise. So, yeah, more than anything, I think it's why it brought me to the top of my brought brought you know was at the top of my list. And I think you're dead on when you say like it's a collision of historical factors that create mm-hmm. this particular movie at this particular moment. And some of that is outside the entertainment industry as well. I think some of that is like, you know the reason why there's more focus on college in black entertainment reflects, you know, the social reality of uh, the growth of the black middle class throughout the eighties and nineties through the eighties and nineties college is coming. College is becoming a much more viable option. than 15 years ago. I'm loath to it. I'm loath to admit this because as previously discussed rapist, but the Cosby show (laughs) going on air and then giving birth to this yeah oh yeah to another entire tv show dedicated to going to college and you Mm -hmm. know until then black families on tv they weren't like the huxtables you know these were two professionals and so it was all about that show was was primarily driving their kids towards going to college and then you build an entire show about one of their kids going to college so it was a focus within black culture born out of the Cosby show in, in at least in part in some way. Yeah. But, uh, but the Cosby show was reflecting something that was happening yeah. in America as well. Right. I mean, it, not, not, not sort of accurately reflecting it, but showing the possibilities of basically showing how things had changed to the point that this was a more of a possibility than it was 10, 15 Ever. years right. ago. Um, and yeah, two professionals, except one of them didn't need to be a gynecologist. Um, except except by choice of, of its star. Yeah, could have been any kind of doctor. Mm-hmm. Also didn't have to have a surgery in the basement. Anyway, um, <laughs> let's... Uh, <laughs> so, no, so yeah, I just want, you know, so it's... Uh, it's like an... In, it's, a, it's an interesting historical artifact. It is, yeah. Um, but... Even even as a, I think it, it makes for a quite an interesting comedy. Yeah, like a comedy that that is trying to do something else and often succeeds, mm-hmm. and doesn't rely on the comedy to to tell a story. Yeah, right, and really right. Like and like I say, I really like that about it. I did, so you know, it's it, that's why it's top of the pile for me. And all right. Um, my only question is, uh, did I enjoy it as much as, as House Party 3? And probably not, but uh, I'm not holding that against this film at all. All right. Yeah, it's interesting. It's very difficult, isn't it? That that question of which one you enjoyed watching more, but which one's the better movie? Yeah, I know what my gut I mean, so early on, that's that's the question I faced with the Jaws series. I kept saying Jaws 2 is a technically better made film, but I think I prefer watching Jaws Jaws 3D, you know? But I gave Jaws 2 the credit. 
I don't know if I would do the same today, it though. It helps that it's a 3D movie, I think. <laughs> it feels like more of a like a novelty. Yeah. Certainly so was at that time. Invest, you can invest less in it. Yeah. Um, and definitely you, you, you can invest, you invest less in house party three than house party two, I think emotionally. Yeah. For me. And me. Okay. Well, the, the, Take it easy. the emotion of laughter. <laughs> uh, All right. Credit check us. Yeah. Well, I mean, it ends with a James Baldwin quote and you mentioned this before and, you know, he talks about the reverse nightmare. And it, you know, so it reminded me that there's a somewhat fantastical ending to this film, but it's based on something genuine, mm-hmm. like something real and in the world, and that speaks for the whole film, I think. Like it, it's comic fantasy grounded in in social reality, right? Um, and then you know, we get a, a like a compilation of deleted scenes. Yes, but kind of footage cut from the scenes and edited together as a reel. For the end credits, which I thought was a good use of that material. Okay. You know, like, it's not scenes that we didn't have in the movie. It's just they went on a bit longer. We cut them. Yeah. Here's what's left. Um, I thought that was a nice go-between. Uh, made of, like, mostly alternate takes, which basically makes it a recap montage as well as a blooper. That's what I wrote. So it's like a du- yeah. It's a double imbass. Yes. <laughs> It begins and ends with a double imbass. <laughs> I mean, no imbass is going to beat the one at the beginning of the no, movie. No, 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 no. They're coming up strong uh, from behind as well. The, the, yeah, Im- the imbass Bur- game of this movie is strong. <laughs> it's strong. Uh, seeing Tony Burton start to crack up is a reason to do the sequence all by itself. Yes, exactly. That was, that's, uh, that's how I and felt. And it tells you exactly the kind of discipline that he had that make, made that part work. Right. Uh, drivers for this movie include Woody Wood and Spitz, Spit Sticks. You made that up. So apparently they were letting Looney Tune characters drive around the cast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they, they were related to Sylvester the Cat. <laughs> Clearly this movie was filmed in Toontown. <laughs> um, uh... So they, they kind of cannibalize an alternate take of a scene from the film as a Ferris Bueller-style audience address post-credits yeah, right. sequence, which I thought was thrifty. <laughs> <laughs> thrifty repurposing of material that you've already filmed. It reminded me of what, like, a uh, of kind of, like, how... Um, the commodification of African-American culture is like at a turning point here mm-hmm. because you've got all these heavyweight black music writers, activists, and um, uh, musicians quoted, used, acknowledged, thanked, but also Adidas and Ford. <laughs> yeah, that's right. At the same time. <laughs> and, you know, we get a re- we get a final non-diegetic sound effect of a record scratch cut to Whoopi Goldberg's post-credits moment. Right. Um, the record scratch is interesting. It's sort of like, you know, it's commonplace now in the comic language of editing. Was it then? Mm. Or was, it, was, it, was it Seymour as a house party thing then? How much was it just sort of like the DJ, you know, DJ vinyl 
Yeah. And because it's just in all comedy now. Um, I feel like it was pretty prevalent back then, too. Okay. And yeah, just to sort of, you know, putting Whoopi at the end, beginning and the end of the movie is sort of. Yeah, it's bookended. It's bookended. It's Whoopi bookended. That makes total sense. You know, she's the biggest, even with everyone else in the movie, she's the biggest star in the movie. Yeah, right. Even now, I think she still counts as the biggest star in the movie. So um, that's a really good sort of split cameo that they Mm do. They Charlton Heston'd her. (laughs) You're right. Did Charlton Heston her cameo. (laughs) That's good. That's all I have. I'm trying to decide. You're still right. I mean, obviously, she's still the biggest movie star, but Queen Latifah, her overall star... She doesn't have the fil- she doesn't have the film. She doesn't have enough film. Have a ghost or a credit, yeah. Or a color purple or anything like that. Is she in color purple? Is Whoopi in color purple? Yeah. Yeah. Um, she certainly doesn't have yeah. an Oscar. True. I don't, I mean there was a time. I'd certainly at this time. She's the biggest. Oh yeah, for sure. Star in the film. And I don't, yeah, I don't think she's surpassed by it. No one in the movie went on to no. do Martin Lawrence, maybe, but even that is more of a rise, more of a rise and fall. Yeah, well, Whoopi's always kind of stayed consistently popular, right? You know, but she's not going she, back and playing. You know, I, I guess it's the same. You know, it's similar in the sense of Martin Lawrence in terms of, you know, she she had this career in which she obviously could open a movie and everybody would go see it and we loved Whoopi Goldberg but she's sort of petered out since then it's not like a sustained thing she's always in our public conscious eye because she's on the view but usually that's just to spout some racist (laughs) theory of hers and that doesn't hold up very well so well you know I guess it all depends on whether she will she will say enough about the holocaust to get to make (laughs) Sister Act 3 Yes, exactly. We have unfinished business, possibly. Someone should exp- Someone should explain. <laughs> someone should. Do- <laughs> what year is that? That's not nineteen ninety, is it? Oh, that's ninety three, right? Ninety three. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. I almost, uh, I almost shit I my pants. I almost shit my <laughs> pants. <laughs> I was saying someone should sim- should just explain the dilemma to her, like we just did. Right. Say, if you don't say anything else about the Holocaust, you'll probably get to make Sister Act <laughs> It's that simple. She'd be like, if you put it like that, why in earth would I bring it up? <laughs> like, do what I normally do and just, you know, um, color shame Megan McCain. There you go. And who wouldn't want to do that? Uh, yes, I was going to say, I, I, even as a white person, I want to do that. So, <laughs> Anything left for you? Nope. That's it. Me neither. Ladies and gentlemen. This is just the beginning yes, of the house party. We're not done. <laughs> we'll be back. But first we have to and know. we may never be done. We might keep finding house party sequels that we haven't heard of before. Yes, it, could, be here forever. it could happen. But we need... It's like that. It's the house party version of that again, that Key and Peel sketch where they're uh, they're caught in that party loop 
you know, the, and the party don't stop. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. All night. <laughs> and then they kill themselves, and then it's got Groundhog Day. They just keep going back. They just keep coming back into that music video loop. Good times. That's our house party right now. No end in sight for now. But uh, first, we have to know what you think of House Party 2. So you're going to have to find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Send an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com and let us know. If you're listening to this now, by all means, please. uh, What's the word? (laughs) What's the word for subscribe? Subscribe. Yes. Subscribe is what I was looking for. Subscribe to this show. Rate and review it. Help us out. And if you haven't yet, by all means, you join the Patreon. You're going to get bonus content. Isn't that right? Yes, it is. And, one, and you know, this is a series with a, an original and a reboot. Neither and so you'll be seen, hearing. So we'll be, co- we'll be covering this uh, in the not-too-distant future. Indeed we will. All right. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards. Coming up next, Tom's almost favorite in the series, House Party 3, no subtitle. (laughs) Don't oversell it. (laughs) Say goodbye to everybody, Tom. Y'all want to help me with my equipment, please? Thank you. Yo, I swear, if I have to carry this shit in all by myself, I'll play the village people all fucking night. (laughs) Giving Martin Lawrence enough space to steal the movie. To just do his shit, yeah. Steal the movie from his the old from their own leads. I'm telling you, amazing. Bye, amazing you all. Work. I'm going to be doing my own TV show. <laughs> <laughs> he's the thing is, it's like he's so good at playing a hanger on. You yeah, want to exactly. Him in right. that role forever. Yeah, but you know you can't because he's too good to just play that to role. play in the hanger on. All right, everyone. Bye.